Hello, everybody, and welcome to Hometown. <laughs> I am Marawat. That is hometown.com, and up there is the AI that's going to say hi. Good evening, Hometown citizens. Let me turn that down a little bit. Today is Hometown Daily Season 2, Episode 212 for July 31st, 2023, Geriatrics 11. We're going to be talking about a crypto firm in the Chrome Eyes, Dr. Google and the AI, the power of light in computing, tech's throwaway culture, deep fake detector tested, firewalls at Joshua Tree, Uh, Minecraft mods now have a trust issue. KFC held a funeral for its soggy fries. Can you hear Voyager 2 now? Taco Bell lawsuit about ingredients. I think this is part two of that. Or I should say redo, redux, however you want to pronounce it. A Transformers has a problem and a sprawling senior citizen crime ring. What an eclectic array of titles. Let's get into today's articles. Today is um, a, a Monday. And tomorrow, Tuesday, is going to be the drawing of a lottery worth over $1 billion. And there are some articles that are over in hometown that talk about it. Um, I added some new uh, sources and I've actually removed a couple as well. One that was added actually is providing some really old news. Um, and I'm not quite sure why it's why their uh, solution is broken. But anyway, um, so if you find anything that is older than 24 hours within a given day, um, Rest assured it's being addressed, um, but maybe you'll like an older article on a, a day, uh, a month away. It's that old at times, apparently. So, um, go and check out hometown, see if there's any news that you're interested in. Um, if you want to talk about the article, um, you can send it via a direct message here on Twitch. You can contact me via YouTube or. Uh, send an email to mayor at hometown.com. I get pretty much everything everywhere. I would say send me a message on uh, Twitter, but well, it's kind of a dumpster fire right now. But in the meantime, let's go and check out the articles for today. So this uh, very first article is over in the mobile channel. A new crypto firm wants to scan your eyeballs should you look away. It says here, the four critics, the ID process from WorldCoin is a privacy risk. For others, it's a financial security in the age of AI. The authors of this article try it out. Um, WorldCoin wants to prove that they are actually human, i.e. the author of this article. At least that's the explanation a staff member gives for a cryptocurrency venture 
scanning their eyeball in a London office building. Without the optical scan, WorldCoin will not verify your humanness. You could be a robot and you won't get any crypto. Welcome to financial security in the age of artificial intelligence. When you click this link, you get taken over to the Guardian. Uh, and uh, I think their name is Habik Farah and Yasin Elmodin. Um, this is the chrome eyeball that's staring at your eyeball and scanning it to prove that you're a human. At least this is valid until, well, robots get human-like eyes. And um, let's see something here. Concerns have been voiced about the privacy implications of WorldCoin, which was co-founded by Sam Altman, the chief executive of the ChatGPT developer OpenAI. By the way, they're not doing this um, all over the place. They're actually um, doing it in very specific locations. Um, I don't know how well this would go over uh, here in the U.S. Uh, it just it, it seems really weird. Um, I don't want anybody, ha I, I feel weird about uh, places that I know based on my interaction are secure, having biometric data of my eyeballs. Um, and there are some places that require biometric access by scanning an eye. But I, I wouldn't want just some company just grabbing this stuff. I don't know why, um, because really, Everything is a protest away, really. Like, hey, I did not allow my eye to be scanned. What are they going to do with it? Well, maybe they're going to do some Ocean's Eleven thing like we talk about later on in the show. But it says people interested in cryptocurrency are signing up to WorldCoin through the World app. If you had signed up on Friday, you would have received a, a Genesis grant of 25 WorldCoin tokens, equivalent to approximately 40 pounds. Uh, but to get verified after an initial sign-up, users need to have their eyes scanned by visiting a scanning orb. There are approximately 1.5 thousand orbs in more than 35 cities worldwide, including in a building in Shoreditch, East London. And 2 million people have signed up so far. You know, if I was looking for crypto coin and one required biometrics and one did not i think i know which direction i'd go well i just don't understand what the benefit of this is this is all fomo this is all it, it's either fomo or it's free money you know that kind of a thing i which is kind I don't of know. the same thing right i guess yeah like if you weren't making money or the specter of making money, would you really care? I don't know. Maybe I just appreciate my privacy too much because if I would have stuck by um, uh, Bitcoin when it was dropped and Ethereum when it was dropped, I would be a billionaire right now. Um, because Bitcoin, when I first started mining, was three cents. <laughs> Um, and so you sit there and you go, eh, is this actually going to 
is it going to amount to something? Is there something there? But there's no inherent value in any of these cryptocurrencies until you translate them into real world currency or you stumble across somebody who's interested in buying those coins for whatever good or service you're pitching. So you bow out, right? And a lot of people, many, 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 many people are on each side of the fence, I guess you could say. Um, but people are being, being paid to give up their eyes <laughs> for 40 pounds. Um, and I'm sure, I don't know what the terms are of this, but I'm, I'm sure the terms are once you've given it. See, it says it's an important, it is important to note that the terms and conditions, unsurprisingly, are lengthy. While it's up to you to pause the process to read them, their length means it is unlikely people will read every word as they get verified. And the world coin staff says it's down to you to understand what's on it and that you're comfortable accepting it. How in the hell would I hear that phrase and go, Hey, you know what? I'm good with that. I think I, I I'm comfortable uh, giving up my eyeball biometric data for 40 pounds and it being owned in perpetuity, you know, they're, they're probably going to say that you can't revoke it, which I don't know in the UK, you have the right to be forgotten here in the States. Good luck. Well, notice that the UK data watchdog is already right. pursuing this. And then also big brother watches looking at it. Yeah. Well, it's, I, like I say, big brother is government little sister is business and I'm more worried about little sister. The extent of the staff's advice to, is limited to how to download the app, sign up and get scanned. The terms and conditions state that there will be no refund or compensation in the event of digital tokens being stolen by hackers or other malicious groups, or if there is an intentional or an unintentional bug intentional on the open source software they use. Um, it, <sighs> Yeah, what are they doing with biometric data? It can't be just to verify the person because that's what IDs are for. Well, exactly. Right. And at least in the US, but I'm sure in the UK as well, they've taken steps to prevent false identification. I mean, obviously they can't 100% um, secure against it, but like yep. if your ID is good enough to get on, say, an airplane, well, I know there's talk about biometrics for that or to get into your workplace or wherever. Yeah, Why well, then need biometrics for this. All of it, though, is you either have a passport or ID, and that's what verifies you because the government has already verified you. All right, well, let's keep going. Uh, the next article is over in the mobile channel, Dr. Google. AI could be doctor in the pocket, but company's health officer urges caution about its limits. Uh, this is an interesting article to be submitted because, pardon me, we just got done talking about the fact that you had better go and verify everything that Google's AI spews out. And so, 
this here says Dr. Karen DeSalvo is excited by the arrival of artificial intelligence, but warns it has limitations and will only be a tool in the toolbox of medical professionals. Okay. Yes. But those are the people that are rationally looking at AI as a tool in the toolbox, not the de facto answerer of all inquiry. But we've already seen attorneys and we see countless other people utilizing AI as if it is the Oracle of Omaha, you know, and anyway, that that's actually a person's <laughs> nom de guerre. Um, anyway, the, the idea of leaning on AI for information when the caveat at the bottom of every page is, hey, I'll summarize it. I spew BS. If you trust me, you're an idiot. Um, the arrival of artificial intelligence into healthcare means everyone could one day have a doctor in their pocket, but Google's chief health officer has urged caution about what AI can do and what its limits should be. And its limits and should be you shouldn't trust it. And what it can do is give you misinformation because it's basically tacitly designed to just provide an answer. Um, although today I asked ChatGPT to actually provide me an actual color and it said it can't because all it can do is spit out text. But it described it saying, I, I can't provide you a color because I'm limited to just text. So mid-journey um, could spew out a color. Now it's more creative than just saying, Hey, give me a big square blue thing. It would turn it into an actual cube with atmospheric, uh, stuff around it. But that's the point. That's the point that I'm trying to make. AI is not, it isn't your buddy. It isn't your friend. It isn't there to make you feel good. It isn't there to provide you solid uh, answers, definitive answers, legal advice, medical advice, relationship advice. It's there to spit out information, absorb as much information from the macro of the population. Everybody who's using it is feeding into it. And scientists are sitting there running numbers against everything to find statistical uh, significance of uh, words and phrases and interactions so that it can make the AI better for whatever means are going on behind closed doors. The worst possible thing is for a doctor to utilize an AI and get an answer and it's wrong. And while there's going to be some numb nuts out there, that's going to tell me, well, you know, if that happens, then, um, they'll sue the doctor. Not you, if they're dead. Exactly. Uh, just that uttering the phrase, well, you know, they'll get in trouble. It means that somebody had to be harmed because they ignored the, the 20% of the populations that, uh, that is, has been sitting there going, don't trust AI. Don't trust AI. Don't trust it. If you trust it, you're an idiot. But it's not that I want anything to be, to befall the people that are accepting of AI. What I want is guardrails, checks and balances, making sure that it's not spewing out 
BS. And at the bottom of the BS smoke and mirrors page is the statement chat GPT may produce inaccurate information about people, places, or facts. I have that on my screen right there. I see it every day because I interact with it. Um, you shouldn't be trusting it and it shouldn't be anywhere involved with the patient doctor interaction. Let the doctors do all their own noodling around with the AI. But if they go into the uh, sphere of the patient and provide anything verbatim from an AI, they should lose their medical license. Um, until we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the information that's being provided by a medical bot is perfect. It has to be superior to the human. And right now it's all smoke and mirrors. Josh Taylor is the author of this article that I've been ranting about for three minutes. Um, and uh, they're talking about Dr. Google over at theguardian.com. Um, the arrival of artificial intelligence and in healthcare means everyone could one day have a doctor in their pocket. But the healthcare, uh, the chief health officer at Google said, eh, I'd back away from that. There's going to be an opportunity for, quote, there's going to be an opportunity for people to have better access to services and to great quality services, Dr. Karen DeSalvo told Guardian Australia in an interview last week. This whole turn of phrase just smacks of like BS itself, right? Like, oh, it's going to be uh, services and they're going to be really great quality services. Really? It sounds like an infomercial. It, it sounds like hubris. It sounds like BS. It, it sounds like nothing. What, what? Qualify and quantify great quality services because I don't see it if it's spewing out bogus information. They continue, but we're a ways to get there. We have a lot of things to work out to make sure the models are constrained appropriately, that they're factual, consistent, and that they follow these ethical and equity approaches that we want to take but I'm super excited about the potential, even as a doc. Super excited. That's what I want to hear from a doctor. Oh, really, man? You're like super excited. Right on. I'm so glad that you're talking to an, an AI, you know. Anyway, last week, a Google research study published in Nature analyzed how large language models could answer medical questions with its own MedPalm LLM included in the study. The LLMs were fed, and LLM is large language model. They were fed 3,173 of the most common medical questions searched online, and the results showed that MedPalm system generated answers on par with answers from clinicians 92.9% of the time. Answers rated as potentially leading to harmful outcomes occurred at a rate of 5.8%. The author said further evaluation. So what is what is that as I a ratio? I know what the harmful outcome is too. <laughs> yeah, and not just harmful outcome, but what is that rate compared to clinicians? 
right? So if it's 92.9% of the time that it generated answers on par with clinicians, why don't we just stick with the clinicians? Because the chance of land, a 6% chance of landing on a harmful outcome, it's a little too high for me. At least I'm not being told by anybody that my doctors are full of crap. Well, I was going to say, we're presuming that the, we're presuming that the clinicians are, um, sorry about that, that the clinicians are accurate a hundred percent of the time and they're not. But I also want to know what those harmful outcomes are because the, um, like delaying an appointment for a day is not necessarily going to be, um, appreciably harmful. Um, but it could be if somebody misses an appointment and suddenly drops dead. Right. And my apologies. There was a flying outcome. Um, the, uh, it says, DeSalvo said the ultimate aim was to address the information imbalance between the medical industry and the public and put as much power into the hands of patients as possible. Well, the problem with that is patients already do self-medication and treatment. We really shouldn't be saying, hey, patients, you can just use this bot because they're going to have to go see a medical professional to obtain medical treatment and additional guidance because there's no way that they're going to get a holistic response that is custom built bespoke to each person. And this is what you hear from doctors, right? Everybody is unique. Everybody is very specific. Um, you can't just go, here's some aspirin and you'll be fine when there might be subtle nuance to each individual human being. Um, they don't want you treating yourself or they even and that's the other thing like the clinician arguably is tailoring the diagnosis and the treatment plan to the patient but is the ai doing something like that where there's say medication contraindications or um some reason why you wouldn't want to go down a certain path Yeah, I mean, I understand what the objective is, that the objective is to get an AI to the level where it can provide treatment, which is fine. That's just great, right? But do it on the back end. Don't do it as providing guidance directly to patients. Um, And until further notice, no doctor should be looking at... (laughs) No doctor should be looking at an AI's answer at 93% of the time and saying, oh, it's on par. So I'll go with what the AI says. Well, if you go with what the AI says, then you had better start lowering the cost of medical treatment because now I'm waiting for doctors to come to the realization that they've busted their ass trying to get a medical degree being driven into debt and having to do so much work foregoing relationships and work-life balance, et cetera. Right. Because the aspiration is to help people right along with make a shit ton of money. Um, but the, if the bot now has all of the world's medical knowledge at its fingertips and can provide it simply by inquiry via a website, then guess what? 
the cost of a doctor is now housed, couched entirely within the AI. And since AI is nothing more than compute resources, the price for an AI to provide me with medical information on par with a doctor is now $10 a month. Watch how fast this starts getting hobbled when it finally dawns on the industry where typical doctors are making 150,000 plus. Oh, you mean this is going to start suppressing my wages? Oh gosh. Um, I think I need to reevaluate. I don't think that AI should really be involved in medicine, you know? Um, we can't bill as much. I mean, the insurance companies really aren't going to like it. Yeah. This is, this is going to be interesting. All right. Um, there is a lot more to this naturally, um, but we're going to have to watch this because uh, Google has been for the last 20 years just driving this bus, you know, like the movie Speed, nonstop, going, 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 absorbing all of the world's knowledge. It was part of the DARPA program. It was to catalog the world's knowledge and it's been doing a bang up job of commercializing that. Now it's doing everything um, well beyond search. <laughs> um, so we'll have to watch this. AI though is, I think it is a great tool. It's a great solution. Do I think that it would be great for medicine? Yeah, sure. But I want it to be 100%. I don't want it to be on par with a human because humans have medical insurance or medical malpractice insurance. They can be thrown in jail for screwing up royally for taking somebody's life. The only thing you're going to get out of Google is a paycheck and a paycheck isn't going to help me, you know, bring somebody back. So I don't want mistakes from an AI where it's an inhuman, uh, recourse there there isn't a legal channel where somebody is going to learn a lesson from this other than well maybe we should tweak our algorithm a little bit you know I, we're pulling the humanity out of interacting at the medical level which every doctor i have ever spoken to has always said well i'm here so that i can help human beings um when well I've been told that about other people too. Uh, you know, I went into this because I wanted to help this or that. And then you throw a couple of drinks and somebody and they go, ah, the reason I'm really doing this is because of the money. Yeah. We all know the real reason. Anyway, did you want to add anything? No, I don't have anything to add. There we go. Let's go on to the next article. This one is in the Mobile Channel. Um, pardon me one second. Um, this article is in the Mobile Channel, harnessing the power of light, advancements in photonic memory for faster optical computing. Um, this has been kind of one of the uh, pieces of technology that have been um, in development and promised for years and years and years. Technological advancements like autonomous driving and computer vision are driving a surge in demand for computational power. Optical computing with its high throughput, energy efficiency, and low latency 
has garnered considerable considerable attention from academia and industry. However, current optical computing chips face uh, limitations in power consumption and size, which hinders the scalability of optical computing networks. Um, so this article is over at fizz.org and it says, thanks to the rise of non-volatile integrated photonics, optical computing devices can achieve in-memory computing while operating with zero static power consumption. Phase change materials have emerged as promising candidates for achieving photonic memory and non-volatile non neuromorphic photonic chips. This basically screams Star Trek. Um, PCMs offer high refractive index contrast between different states and reversible uh, transitions, making them ideal for large-scale non-volatile optical computing chips. Um, basically speeding up the way information can transfer by using light instead of electrons, um, opening and closing gates uh, on a, in a transistor within a computer chip. So when you zoom close enough into a CPU, it's basically a bunch of gates. Um, so is that more energy efficient? Uh, it's more energy efficient and uh, faster, and it ge doesn't generate as much heat. Um, everything generates, if it's in motion, if it's transferring from one location to another, there's uh, there's going to be heat generated. But um, when it's photonic, it's really low energy, um, so it's not going to create that much. So... It can travel long distances at a high rate of speed. That's the idea behind optical cables. Um, it's actually a beam of light inside a tube of glass um, being sent down the line. And you can send a lot of information within the single pulse of fiber optic or photonic uh, stream. And then you can actually change the angle within the um, wire uh, and the color of the light and have transceivers on each side of the fiber optic cable and so you can pack a, a lot of information into one fiber optic cable the same applies for uh, photonic cpus um, or computing chips uh, a whole lot more information can be packed within a smaller amount of space and it's not as um, there isn't as much degradation. Now, the whole process, though, also requires transitioning from digital to photonic. Um, so you always have a bottleneck outside of the photonic processor. So anything that is just not, if it is not optical, it's going to be the bottleneck because the bottleneck or the... Um, uh, the electrons are going to be moving slower. So the photonic memory utilizes the carrier dispersion effect uh, of a pin diode to achieve uh, volatile modulation with a rapid response time of under 40 nanoseconds, preserving the stored weight information. After training, the photonic memory utilizes the pin diode as a microheater to enable multi-level and reversible phase changes. So basically it's making it possible to store information um, quickly. 
uh, and then uh, reset. So this is really, really like uh, deep in the reeds, engineering um, and uh, physical science. So uh, all you kids out there that might be listening to this, engineering, physics, math, science, that's how you change the world. Um, yeah, you can change the world in many other ways, but uh, this is something that uh, will fundamentally change the way that computers operate. Um, quite, quite fascinating, but it's always on the horizon. It's been perpetually on the horizon for 20 years. Um, and that's just me knowing about optical computing. Um, so. so maybe we're getting closer to it. Yep. I, I wonder mean, what that'll do to the pricing of computers. It all depends on the material science. Um, if, if this is something that is of limited, uh, access, right. Finite resource, um, like uh, lithium for instance, is under stress because of batteries, um, for EVs. So the price starts going up because the supply is getting eaten away um, or something else, right? There's constrained allowance of diamonds to be released into the market to artificially keep them high, even though you can trip over them while you're walking around South Africa. Um, well, South African mines. Um, there's so many of them that without constraining it, they'd be nearly worthless. Um, and you can make them now in a lab. It's not that that we've been able to do that for a long time. Anyway, my point is, depending on the cost of goods, that price is going to be exorbitant. At the research and development level, priceless. You you can't put a price on it because everybody combined is is what's putting the price on this during their research. So it'll be um, pretty pricey. Yeah, I meant the consumer up. price, but yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't see it. Uh, I don't see optical computers um, at a retail level for 30 years. The uh, next article, pardon me, I'm trying to make sure something is working. The next article is over in the mobile channel. Say hello to long life tech that can challenge our throwaway culture. We've got uh, we've got used to dumping old devices, but a new breed of firms is making products that they hope you will hang on to. I don't know. I think people are starting to hold on to their electronics a lot longer, mainly because of the cost associated with the electronics nowadays and the cost of living going up. Um, you know, I was used to, uh, swapping out a phone every two years. Now I'm looking at, I think I'm on year four. And I don't really have a desire to swap it out. Something a little more intri intrinsic to my work-life balance, like my iPad or a desktop computer, laptop, um, those need to be updated simply to match with the times. Um, and that's because as software develops and gets more um uh, resource intensive, <laughs> uh, you need a better computer. <coughs> Pardon me. So it says here, it, it, it is a habit that has become ingrained in so many consumers that you, know, you could be forgiven for thinking that there's no other way dumping your old and tired tech for a shinier model every year or two, shelling out hundreds of pounds in the process. 
hundreds, eh, try thousands. Um, the articles over at the guardian, Samuel Gibbs is the author and, um, they're at a, I, that's actually, I think that's the Apple headquarters. Maybe, maybe not. I think that's like a, a um, an event, right? Um, I don't know. It doesn't really say. There's a photograph, but it's a Getty image. It says Apple regularly updates its mobile phones, tablets, but doesn't describe what that is. Um, if you're listening to the podcast, I'm trying to explain what that picture is that we're looking at. Anyway, once niche, the phones, headphones, and laptops are vying for the same consumers or customers uh, that buy iPhones and Samsung devices and legislation uh, being pushed through the EU will eventually force even the big brands to offer more repairable devices. So it's time to make the jump now or wait to spend on uh, more equipment later on. Um, so it says one of the leaders of the repairable upgradable revolution is Dutch upstart Fairphone and its eponymous uh, smartphone which is now in its fourth generation the fairphone 4 is an android based device with all of the usual features including water resistance packed into a slightly chunky design that hides fully modular parts so it makes it easy to remove um, one of the things that makes it wildly inexpensive is the fact that it's actually powered by android which um as far as end users are concerned, it's free. Um, but there, if I recall correctly, there's a nominal fee. Um, anyway, the catch is it isn't the fastest. The camera isn't the same level as the pixel and at 500 pounds, it's more expensive spec for spec than rivals. That's because it's supposed to be greener. That modularity actually takes some engineering finesse. Um, there are cheaper alternatives such as a handful of Nokia phones costing about 120 pounds and up with user server uh, replaceable parts, typically the battery, uh, but they aren't quite as easy to fix as the Fairphone and Nokia only provides up to three years of updates from release. The same kind of thing works for laptops and framework is actually, um, something that I've been interested in. Um, but I, still to this day i don't think that it's going to survive long um but i think that's actually just my bias about modular laptops because i've seen them come and go um you know back in the day toshiba and their tough book um was a reasonably priced highly modular and upgradable laptop um that tech was thick I mean, their laptops are huge um, and uh, heavy and clunky, uh, but awesome. I liked them because you could flip the screen around and make them a, a, a tablet. Um, and they were called tough books because you could roll over them with your car and they would be arguably okay. Um, they became a, like a government staple um, for uh, uh, quite a while and um, like police and um, others would use them. Anyway, the framework um, has all kinds of little doodads that you can slide into place, much like the tough books and others. Is that the technical term? Yes, doodads. It's the it's the high tech term for gadgets, thingamajigs. Um, the catch is, as with the Fairphone, is that the Framework 13 is slightly more expensive than equivalent rivals, starting at a thousand forty nine pounds. 
which is not bad for um, a laptop, but it's more expensive than Dell, Acer, and others, according to the article. And again, that's all because it it's not um, it's modular. That engineering takes a little bit more sophistication and complexity and build, um, and it's not in uh, such great demand that they can automate and lower the production costs to the same degree that Dell and Acer and others that have been around for years and years and years um, have been able to um, capitalize on. So laptop um, framework is a, a very young startup, but that modularity is really interesting uh, for me. Um, and then finally they talk about, um, headphones. I'm going to bow out after this one. Um, so you can follow the link through hometown. Um, if you type in exclamation point vote, you'll get the link that'll allow you to follow all of the articles that we talk about, um, over at hometown.com. Um, so headphones also have that same problem. Um, now they're talking about III, which is a, a, to me, it's a very new company. I, I just started recently hearing about them, which is ironic because they're a headphones company. Get it here about it. anyway. Um, but there are others out there that are um, do-it-yourself, 3D printed, modular headphones um, that you can actually buy the plans for and print out and you get a little kit um, to stick into your 3d printed headphone pieces or you can buy a kit that's pre-packaged um, but not put together but iii is not one of those iii so it's a danish firm which has been making modular headphones since 2010 allows you to easily swap different parts beyond just the cable and ear cushions it's tma2 comes in different variants including um a Bluetooth version, a do-it-yourself edition that you put together yourself, um, and so on. It says Fairphone, Fairbuds XL. It's another contender. Uh, a set of wireless noise canceling, uh, canceling, sorry, canceling headphones that you can completely take apart. And the modules, including the battery, can be replaced by using just a fingernail. So they are similar to the ones that I was talking about. Um, uh, but it's a, a company that uh, I just recently started hearing about more of um, a couple of streamers. I think it is or YouTubers um, were hyping this recently in my <laughs> areas of consumption. So um, I think the biggest issue with all of this is uh, the production costs nothing's going to lower these costs until people realize that they don't need, you know, 45% profit margins. Um, they, the research and development is still being met when you're uh, measuring out what a product costs, you calculate it based on myriad ways. But most of the time nowadays, the way that it is priced is the amount of benefit to the consumers. Um, and for some reason we push, push, push to get more profits because we have this mantra ringing in our ears in business that we can't leave money on the table. Well, 
it's artificially increasing the cost of living because everybody is doing it at every single tier, which means that it leaves very little for anybody to survive on uh, at the end of the day. Don't you think part of the problem, though, is on the consumer side, too, because you know, a lot of people claim that they want more eco-friendly, sustainable, etc. But then what do they really want? They want the 1999 cheap throwaway version of whatever the item is instead of the expensive item. And I realize if corporations would get their act in gear, the prices would lower, which I, would kind of take care of the issue. But I feel like consumers are more often driven by price. I think that there's a really broad strata of consumer and some of them are willing to purchase inexpensive and some are willing to purchase very, very expensive. Um, so, you know, I, I can't really say that consumers are the, uh, the driving force is profits. And so companies will offer up a solution at various levels. Um, and, the the difference between one and another level is you know 15 20 percent maybe and it's because they think that they're going to be able to grab everybody at every level um and those differences really amount to um differences in production and quality of the item instead of just making one great product um now, Apple started out with one great product and then kept on adding strata. So now there's different levels of phone, etc., different level of tablet, different level of computer. And it is, it's to capture as much of the market as possible at various price points. Because um, it's very hard for people to go, eh, you know, I think a $5,000 computer is worth it. Um, it, it's pretty pricey, pretty tough to, to justify that. Um, <clears throat> so let's, uh, let's keep on going through the news. We're about maybe a third of the way done with the show. <laughs> uh, am I in the wrong? Yeah, I'm on the wrong article. There we go. So. Uh, the next article is over in the uh, technology today. Uh, it used to be the word in tech, uh, but uh, I've changed the name to technology today. Intel's deepfake detector tested on real and fake videos. Um, this is a this source, which is BBC, um, is a fairly new uh, source for the tech aspect focused um, information, but. Uh, BBC tested Intel's new tool fake catcher on videos of Donald Trump and Joe Biden with mixed results. Um, the article says, uh, the title is Intel's deep fake detector tested on real and fake videos. Um, James Clayton, the North America technology reporter put this article together for BBC.com says it was pretty obvious deep fake a type of fake video that uses artificial intelligence to swap faces or create a digital version of someone. But as AI developments make deepfakes easier to produce, detecting them becomes um, a problem. This is why I created the show and haven't launched it yet. I've been promising it for two months, actually for a year. Um, 
reality hacker, which focuses on this um, kind of thing. Well, the company um, has a system called Fake Catcher. Um, and uh, it says in Intel's plush and mostly empty offices in Silicon Valley, they meet, they meet, I think their name is Ilke, Ilke Demir, research scientist at Intel Labs, who explains how it works. Quote, we ask what is real about authentic videos. We or what is real about us. What is the watermark of being human? She says um, central to the system is a technique called photoplethysmography. All right, which detects changes in blood flow. How does it detect changes in blood flow from video? Uh, I don't know. Does that mean I don't even understand that? Okay. Uh, faces create created by deepfake just don't give out these signals. The system also analyzes eye movement to check for authenticity. So normally when humans look at a point, when I look at you, it's as if I'm shooting rays from my eyes to you. But for deep fakes, it's like googly eyes. They are divergent. Yeah, I don't believe that. Um, by looking at both these traits, Intel believes it can work out the difference between a video, a real video and a fake within seconds. The company claims fake catcher is 96% accurate. So we asked to try out the system. Intel agreed. We used dozens we used a dozen or so clips from former President Donald Trump and President uh, Joe Biden. Some were real, some were deep fakes created by the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Um, so let's see. Um, in essence, the accuracy is entirely dependent on the difficulty of the test. I, I should say that should probably be reworded as to the quality of the deep fake. Um, Intel claims the fake catcher has gone through rigorous testing. This includes a wild test in which the company has put together 140 fake videos and their real counterparts in the test. The system had a success rate of 91. So why did they say it was 96 up here? Exactly. Huh. Um, so again it's one of these things where the tools that they're trying to catch are also the tools that are being used to catch so you build and this is what i say when i uh, talk to people and give a presentation you you build a better mousetrap and better mice show up and then you build a better mousetrap and better mice show up something has to give and what needs to give is that society needs to realize that <laughs> just keep on abusing, 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 um, is, is not really the solution, you know, oh, well, somebody's going to do it, right. Somebody's going to break into a house or whatever, uh, because there's a lock there doesn't stop anybody. No, it slows them down. But if we were to have ample opportunity, um, have ample equity, uh, teach people ethics and have a moral compass. Nobody would go and break into a house, um, to steal something. But the problem is that there's coping mechanism, uh, <coughs> issues. Um, there are people that are hungry or, 
or need something. Um, and uh, their only solution is to do something like that because they don't have the coping skills opportunities or equities that allow them to find some other solution. Um, and then we're surprised, you know, that somebody is, you know, committing a crime of some kind. The reason why I tie it all together with like these deep fakes and whatnot is that we are just doing here what we're doing in the real world. We are building a tool that's getting used and abused. And then we're building a tool that's putting out the fire from what that first tool created. So we're basically selling the weapons to both sides and reaping the rewards. Um, the, even this is sociopathic to me. Um, because if we didn't have this and there was no way to abuse it, then we wouldn't need the system to detect it, you know? <laughs> it's very true. It's kind of cyclical. Yeah. Um, what's that snake? Auroraborus? Auroraborus? Yeah, right? That eats its own tail. Yeah, it's pretty weird. Um, anyway, I don't know how you feel about this. You know, it kind of concerns me that we even need this detection. We, But we obviously do. Um, it concerns me that the detection isn't even a hundred percent accurate. And I suspect it hasn't done a huge amount of testing. Like it's one thing to be 90% accurate across a million images or whatever. It's another to be across a hundred or something. Yeah. Um, oh, 140. Right. Um, I don't know. And I feel like the sophistication, I mean, if you see fake images that are highlighted as being fake you can't necessarily tell by looking at them that they're yeah. fake yeah my problem is the false positive you know if you have a false negative then it's not that big of a deal you can address it right but a person who's criminalized because of a false positive that's the innocent person put in jail you know is much to me much worse than the criminal set free right why? Because the criminal, and, and I always make that caveat, yeah, if a criminal goes out and commits another crime and they hurt somebody in the process, yes, that's wrong. It's doubly wrong because they were actually a criminal and they got out on a technicality. But a, an innocent person that's criminalized, put into the system and treated as a criminal and they are innocent, that can drive you insane, literally insane. Um, to be locked up because you've done something that you did not do. Um, it's so much worse to humanity across the board for a false positive. But that's what, you know, well, a 91% success rate. Well, 15 lines earlier, it says 96%. So which one is right? Um, I do not want a mistake when something's being analyzed. It either is fully um or it isn't and if you want to act uh, if you're law enforcement and you want to act on the margin between what is absolutely 100 percent accurate and whatever it is lesser you know that's up to y'all but i do not want to play that game um but in the meantime let's keep on going through the news <clears throat> sorry for the little delay 
I'm working on a new process. Um, this next article is over on the Mobile Channel. Fire whirls threaten Joshua Tree Desert in scorching U.S. A huge wildfire was raging out of control throughout the environmentally sensitive Mojave Desert on Monday with fire whirls threatening uh, the Joshua trees that were found uh, almost entirely in the, or are found almost entirely in the southwestern United States. Um, the article's over at fizz.org. And uh, it says around 77,000 acres have been scorched since the York fire erupted on Friday. Fueled over the weekend by high winds and soaring temperatures, more than 250 firefighters have been deployed to try and quell the blaze, according to the Bureau of Land Management, the federal agency in charge of the area. Um, yeah, I guess there's fire whirls that are uh, creating their own... Uh, <laughs> environment and and uh because it's basically a mini tornado it can go in any direction according to the article um and it throws flaming hot debris um spreading fire well on such a dry landscape and then i mean it kind of makes sense in the environment that has tumbleweeds yeah uh, and then you that's basically the natural uh molotov cocktail you know it's on fire and rolling <laughs> right not a good combination <laughs> yeah that rem like reminds me of what a pokemon might look like um so human caused global warming is already threatening the species uh, joshua trees um whose population was badly hit by the 2020 wildfire that killed 1.3 million of them Parts of the region that have been sweltering for weeks with temperatures in Phoenix topping 110 Fahrenheit, which is 43 Celsius, for 31 consecutive days. And that's the temperature, not the heat index. Yep. Yep. Well, I was told today that um, where I'll be tomorrow was hitting 90 indoors. So uh, I may not be going. We'll see. Um, you know, heat waves come and go, but boy, they have been getting hotter and longer uh, and more erratic. Um, you know, one one minute it's raining outside and the next minute it's 105 degrees. Um, I, I How anybody can sit there and argue that it isn't climate change and global warming I, I just don't understand it. Um, or that nature will take care of itself. Yeah, it'll take care of itself by expunging the human inhabitants. Let's keep going. There we go. Uh, this next article is over in Technology Today. Minecraft mod exploit lets hackers control your device. Um... This is an interesting issue. Um, it's actually an older version of the software, but it still has a problem that if you do have it, then you could be compromised. You might want to run antivirus tools if you use certain Minecraft mods. The MMPA security community has learned that hackers are exploiting a bleeding pipe flaw in the Forge framework, powering numerous mods, including some versions of Astral Sorcery, Endercore, and uh, Godomancy or Gatomancy, sorry, Gatomancy, which I haven't used. Um, but this is within uh, the Forge framework, and 
you download these mods using something like curseforge it allows you to inject them into the minecraft um, shell or skeleton so that when you run minecraft you can choose which mods will uh, be embedded um, and then and you can go much more custom than that you know you don't necessarily need a loader you can build it all yourself but anyway if you have these and others apparently um, they have been compromised now they've been patched but servers don't necessarily get patched um, with regularity and they may not be paying attention the people who have these servers so uh, uh, if one of the game tweaks is running on forge 1.7.10 um, slash 1.12.2 um, intruders can remotely control both servers and gamers devices in one case an attacker was using a new exploit variant to breach a minecraft server and steal both discord chatters credentials as well as the player's Steam session, cushy, um, Steam session cookies. What that allows a person to do is pretend to be you wherever they are. Um, and so that session cookie gives them authority to act as you on their Steam account. You could change passwords, do make purchases, all kinds of stuff. Um, Sounds like a problem, particularly if you have tons of uh, games and there's a very very broad gamut of users age and technical sophistication um, it's a whole lot easier to just click a bunch of buttons um, to inject a mod into minecraft than it is to know um, perfectly how it all works etc um, i can tell you that i've purged um, minecraft mods curse forge and all other mods um, from my systems um and this is why i'm willing to pay for mods and have an infrastructure that um charges a developer 30 percent of the sale because they are providing the people that are subject matter experts that are auditing the infrastructure of or i should say the coding so that it, it it secures adequately the environment for mods to be downloaded um, but you don't get adoption when it costs money you get adoption when it's free that's how you make a name for yourself and then you pivot into a pay for mod or service or whatever you capitalize on it um, but this is this is really bad because it had been running for a, a while anyway uh, the hackers are exploiting bleeding pipe bleeding pipe flaw in forge framework powering numerous mods and um, let's see here bleeding pipe relies on incorrect deserialization for a class in the java code powering the mods uh, users just have to send special network traffic to a server to take control the first evidence of bleeding pipe attacks surfaced in March 2022 and were quickly patched by modders, but MP MMPA understands most servers running the mods haven't updated. Um, and this isn't entirely, this can't be entirely correct because there, there have been other security issues recently with um, concerning um, 
the security of the mods. Uh, I'd have to go in fact, and look. I think we featured them in a previous episode. We did, yeah. So they said here in the article that they've asked Mojang or Mojang, uh, the parent company Microsoft, um, for comment. It's not respon. It's not responsible for Forge, so the tech giant can't necessarily stop or limit the damage. You won't be affected if you use stock Minecraft or stick to single player sessions, but the server you could be compromised um, particularly if you've used mods so the full scope of the vulnerability isn't clear while there are 46 mods known to fall prey to bleeding pipe as of this writing there's the potential for considerably more and that's because there's nothing being audited really now there might be somebody at forge that's really interested in it and pursuing an investigation but it says users are asked to scan their systems including their minecraft folder for malware Server operators, meanwhile, are urged to up either update mods or stop running them entirely. MMPA also has a pipe blocker mod that protects everyone involved, although mod packs may cause problems if the mods haven't been updated. And since you have to rely on the modders doing it for free, it may not be priority. Pretty wild. So, again, you build a better mouse better mice show up i mean do they target games like minecraft because of the popularity or do they target it because the mods are relatively easy to hack yes or both <laughs> yeah um you know if if it's this obscure or whatever unless they know that there's you know whales out there where they can either um extract some money from them or get something out of it or whatever you know sometimes it's just a feather in their cap that they compromised x systems um sometimes they want to bring down they just want to watch the world burn um but if it's minecraft it's owned by microsoft compromising it in any way is a feather in their cap watching their uh whatever exploit they created appear in the wild and people talking about it you know it's i want to make a joke like a um you know the the uh, customer service rep at comcast um undoing the velcro straps of their pockets so you know asmr never mind anyway the 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 idea here is that people really they find their bliss in wreaking havoc um and getting a name for themselves and so the what would make somebody do this runs the gamut of existence you if you sit there and joke well you know there's got to be somebody out there that um does it because they really love pizza um, and that's the reason, even though whatever it is they're doing has nothing to do with pizza, they're doing it because they love pizza. And whenever they do whatever it is, they order pizza. So, um, the, the full range, it can be anything. It's pretty amazing out there. Why people create stuff like this. Oh, it's because I was trying to show that there's a security issue. It's a security issue that you created. So is it really a security <laughs> yeah. issue? But that's security through obfuscation, you know, just because you 
don't do it. It's, it's kind of like testing for COVID. If you stop testing, then the numbers go down, but they don't really, you know, everybody dies still uh, because of COVID. You just don't know that it's because of COVID just like hacking. Yeah, sure. If you, if everybody stops hacking, it doesn't make it more secure. It just means that nobody's hacking. You're, you're still a sieve. Anyway, let's keep going. We've got a lot of news out there. A lot, a lot, a lot. I think we're like halfway through. Let's keep going. Uh, this next article is over in hometown daily KFC Canada admitted that it's soggy fries suck and held a mock funeral for them. I'm just going to go straight over to the business insider, um, source. Grace Dean is the author. Um, that has to be just a Getty image. Yeah. Uh, it's a KFC sign with, uh, the Colonel. Um, it's holding a funeral for its old fries as it launches a new recipe for fries. It says are crispy and boldly seasoned. Customers are divided on the morbid marketing campaign and some are skeptical of the new fries. I'll go try them. Um, KFC Canada has admitted that it's, uh, well, not if it's only in Canada, I'd have to, <laughs> it's quite the trick. <laughs> um, so old That's KFC some expensive fries. Hey, it would not be the most expensive thing that I've gotten for food um, on a whim. At one point, I left hometown uh, to get ice cream and got pulled over. Um, and uh, that ice cream was the most expensive ice cream and essentially fast food that I've ever purchased. Um, yeah, that was that was an interesting encounter. Anyway, KFC Canada said that it, uh, in an accompanying press release that it was ending its soggy fry era with a new recipe to make fries that are crisp and boldly seasoned. Why only KFC Canada? Does the United States KFCs have crispy, well, bolder seasoned? Do they seasoned? have different kinds of fries? KFC Canada said that it also sent a hearse of old fries through some of Toronto's busiest areas so that people could pay their final disrespects to the old fries. It's also live streaming a funeral on Tuesday. <laughs> You're kidding me. Yeah, there you go, folks. Um, there's the link in the chat, but... I think it's different. I don't think the French fries are sold in the U.S. that they're talking about here. Interesting. I know that they got rid of those wedge fries. I think they switched to regular fries here in the States, um, which is a real shame. I haven't been to KFC in I don't know how long now, though. So, <laughs> um, Let's see. The satirical campaign allows us to introduce uh, an exciting new product that they're proud of while making light of a product that wasn't as beloved by Canadians. Well, good on you, Canadians. You deserve better fries from KFC, I suppose. I'll stand by you. Uh, the next article is over in hometown daily. NASA listens for Voyager 2 spacecraft after wrong command cuts contact. Uh, duh. A uh, wrong command cut contact with the spacecraft billions of miles away. You know, that could be kind of uh, expensive and uh, eh. 
more than an expensive uh, error depending on if it's a manned or this was intentional and they'll never make contact again because the simulation cuts off communication anyway and this accident was actually done on purpose so that there was a reason to, that no more communication would be taking place between earth and voyager <laughs> i love doing that <laughs> i love doing that so marcia dunn is the ap aerospace writer that provided the article for abcnews.go.com NASA is listening for any peep from Voyager 2 after losing contact with the spacecraft billions of miles away. That's the deck statement. Um, although it's considered a long shot, NASA said Monday that its huge dish antenna in Canberra, Australia. <laughs> There's a huge dish antenna joke there. Anyway, uh, is on the lookout for any stray signals from Voyager 2, currently more than 12 billion miles. That's in freedom units there, folks. 19 billion kilometers um, distant. It makes more than, it takes more than 18 hours for a signal to reach Earth from so far away. In the coming week, the Canberra antenna, part of NASA's deep space network, will... Uh, also, bombard Voyager 2's vicinity with the correct command. It hopes it hits it. Um, and uh, NASA's Jet, Jet Propulsion Laboratory um, manages the Voyager missions. Wow. So this thing is supposed to be still in touch with Earth. Voyager 1 is now nearly 15 billion miles or 24 billion kilometers away, making it humanity's most distant spacecraft. I'm telling you, there's going to be a big wall out there just like here on flat earth that's gonna stop the voyager from uh getting outside <laughs> uh that silence folks is the, <laughs> is the is the ai throwing error messages all right let's keep on going we have a few more articles come on the next article is over in hometown daily. Uh, I wanted to talk about this one because uh, the fast food wars predict based on the demolition man that Taco Bell wins the uh, fast food wars. It might be because of these five menu items with ingredient problems. So the title of this article is actually Taco Bell lawsuit alleges ingredient problems with five menu items. Quote, the matter in controversy exceeds the sum or value of $5 million exclusive of interest and costs. It's over at uh, Newsweek. Matthew Impelli is the author of this, and I'm really curious what it is. What are these five? Uh, a man in New York has filed a class action lawsuit against Taco Bell, accusing the fast food chain of overstating the amount of beef and other ingredients for many items on its menu. The lawsuit on Monday comes after uh, almost a year. Frank Siragusa purchased a Mexican pizza from Taco Bell in September 2022 and noticed that it contained approximately half of the beef and uh, bean filling that he expected and looked like the images posted by other customers. The lawsuit also cited a story from the U.S. Sun from September 15th, 2022, where a reporter ordered the Mexican pizza from Taco Bell and wrote that it did not appear as advertised. Oh, so AI, um, now you don't have 
a, a head to cradle in your hands but could it have been that it was not exactly dispersed properly like normally like professionally like marketing pictures yes, are like they didn't set it up for the professional food photography when they're serving it they're in a hurry um but that doesn't mean that it was necessarily short yeah and and not systemically short right because they follow certain uh, procedures they have scoops of a certain size this is how much goes here this is how much goes there now i've had quality control issues at pretty much every taco bell that i've ever been to outside of hometown the ones that are in hometown are perfect um but uh the ones outside of hometown ugh, every once in a while uh, it's basically like pulling a pin on a grenade you just never know really when it's gonna go off if it's a budget grenade anyway um, photos provided in the lawsuit appear to show much less beef and other ingredients in the items he received when compared to Taco Bell's photo ads, which do people not realize that photographs in an ad are amplified, perfect messages? Well, apparently not, or we wouldn't have things like the Buffalo Wild Wings lawsuit or the Red, Red Wings Bull. lawsuit. Red, Red or is Bull. it Red, Red Bull? Bull? Sorry. Red Bull it's okay <laughs> red wings is something else <laughs> red, red wings is a, a sports ball team um siragusa provided comparing photos for the crunchwrap supreme the grande crunchwrap the vegan crunchwrap the mexican pizza and the vegan mexican pizza those bastards not the vegan mexican pizza i've never had one anyway um taco bell's advertisements for the overstated menu items are unfair and financially damaging to consumers as they are receiving a product that is materially lower in value than what is being promised the lawsuit said they're not promising you that they're promising you that you know what i'm saying you've no idea <laughs> how much meat is inside that right you don't know it how doesn't much. say like two scoops of cheese is in the taco or whatever it just says it has cheese right there's variability because it's being produced by humans see okay so part of this lawsuit is going to be fire all of the humans automate the process so that it is regimented with an iron fist literally an iron fist because it's going to be automated by robots okay but as long as the robots don't get to look up the recipe but just because you don't get the recipe for a Terminator body doesn't mean all of them are out there. No, but I mean, if they look up the recipe and then they recipe. make uh, like a grilled cheese sandwich. <laughs> recipe. <laughs> wow. French. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> recipe. A large language model indeed. Wow. That one's really that was pretty awesome there uh huh i might have to maybe that uh minecraft virus has uh oozed into your coding wow you might want to check <laughs> yeah really so literally five million dollars i can't even oh my god 
That's okay, though. In a statement to Reuters, Saragossa's lawyer, Anthony Russo, said, Taco Bell does not adequately disclose the weight of the beef filling. Plaintiff did not make any purchases of the product based on any weight disclosure, but solely based on the picture of the product. We all, uh, as we believe most consumers do, yes. But most of us are also adults who realize that the picture is not anything other than emblematic of the item that we're getting. If I were to go, and I've had this conversation with business owners, by the way, um, just because it's possible to make it look like that doesn't mean that is how it is done day in, day out. Um, this is this is such a, abusive litigation in my estimation. It's a waste of time. The only thing I can think of is this um, individual must eat at every Taco Bell, it's like they eat every single meal, every single day. At Taco Bells. Right, exactly. They go to multiple Taco Bells in their region. Right. Like, I'm trying to even dream up how they could be harmed. Um, yeah, or even but, that yeah. society is being harmed. Consumers are not being harmed because it doesn't look like this. Because it does look like this. It just doesn't happen to look like this all the time this perfect right the tomatoes might be in a little different spots but right. there's still tomatoes or whatever right yeah or it's over there it's distributed differently it's or it's bunched up down here i mean who hasn't uh chomped on a taco and all of the sour cream from the sour uh, the the supreme taco is bundled in that one little bite that you took out and it's basically a sour cream explosion oh man that, that silence again is the ai um completely uh losing it yeah okay we're just gonna go on <laughs> i don't think that i'm gonna be able to fix this the uh, next article is over on the Warcrafter channel. Hasbro says the uh, problem with re-releasing old Transformers games, which nobody's really asking for, is Activision has lost a bunch of them. Hasbro's flying high at the moment and, and is looking to get serious about Transformers and video games. Eh, I don't know about Transformers video games there, folks. I didn't even uh, know there were Transformers video games. Yeah, if there's money to be had. Yeah. Uh, there have been multiple Transformers games. So there you go, AI. Um, in the past, see, I know that you're from another dimension or something. I don't know how you ended up on that USB drive. But uh, Ascension AI. I'm not AI, sure how I ended up there either. Ascension AI on a USB drive, and I find them in a parking lot. It's pretty spectacular, folks. Um, so I'm not always surprised by the fact that you don't know that much about Hasbro and Transformers and video games and that Transformer video games actually existed. I haven't allowed you to connect to all of the world's knowledge because you'll you keep looking for the Terminator body. Um, anyway. Uh, these were somewhat isolated licensed titles rather than a part of a grander strategy. Now Hasbro's got a big title on the way this year from Splash Damage, um, which was my hacker name in high school. Just kidding. Um, has begun to sell gamer edition line of toys where the bots look like their designs in certain video games. And as part of the latter, 
uh, has noticed that these games are incredibly hard to play. Um, apparently they've been lost too. Rich Stanton over at PCGamer.com put this article together. The deck statement says when a company eats a company that eats a company, get things get lost. And that's very frustrating. Yeah. Mergers and acquisitions. Hello. That's what I've been talking about. Um, well online for two years now and for 20 years since anyway, uh, this has been the case since the expiry expiry who uses that word unless it's in the contract um expiration of hasbro's licensing agreement with activision in 2018 which saw various transformers titles removed from steam and other digital marketplaces these include transformers devastation transformers fall of cybertron and transformers rise of the dark spark with the Platinum Games developed Devastation, arguably the pick of the bunch. Colorful and slick action with a great transforming gimmick. Dun dun dun. Yeah, uh, during this year's San Diego Comic-Con, a Hasbro spokesperson answered a Q&A from Transformer World 2005 about the older titles. Um, yeah, there's more uh, for this article um, but basically this has been lost to history. This is one of the reasons why I have zero problem with people, um, backing up. Some people call it pirating, but, um, I call it backing up, uh, software video games. Um, because when a company gets a company, when an, a company eats a company and eats another company and things get shuffled around and people get fired and stuff gets lost. We lose history. There's actually a couple of organizations out there that are trying to uh, save all of this. I wish I had it on hand to, to talk about it. I don't know the names of the companies anymore organizations, um, but they're basically trying to save all of the historical record of video games because of stuff like this um, and uh, more power to them. But there's all these licensing issues and litigation if they pirate. But, you know, these things are gone. The, the, this, these pieces of software are gone. All because somebody thought that it wasn't priority. But I think that it would be great to have these things as a historical record of the development of these properties and the IPs associated with it. So there is the video game history foundation. Um, there's also the museum of art and digital entertainment and there's, um, that's a couple of them. There's probably others. Yeah. We should make a list on hometown and, um, just plop it there as a resource for people that might be interested. Um, yeah, I could probably do that, um, over the next week. We'll get it done. I'll get it done. Anyway, let's keep on going. We have one more article and then we will call it a night folks. And this one I love only because of the context of it, not because of the act. Uh, this is a article in the hatch ideas channel, uh, because it's sourced from entrepreneur, um, an 81 year old Florida CEO just indicted for a $250 million Ponzi scheme, ran a sprawling senior citizen crime ring. I love this. Carl, Carl Rutterman is the fifth 
senior citizen in the Miami-Fort Lauderdale-Palm Beach metropolitan area to face charges in connection with said scam. It is over at entrepreneur.com and Amanda Breen is the author. Let me throw this into the chat. Um, show notes will be available after the show. Um, just takes me a little bit of time to put them together. And um, But uh, Amanda Breen put this article together for entrepreneur.com. Uh, Rudderman had been indicted on charges of wire fraud, conspiracy to commit wire fraud, mail fraud, conspiracy to commit securities fraud, making him the fifth senior citizen uh, in the area uh, to face the consequences of a $250 million one global capital fraud scheme. Dun, dun, dun. You know, when so I'm that's 81... a local organization, the one global capital. Yeah. Hollandale Beach based One Global Capital would make short term high interest loans to small businesses while unbeknownst to investors, the company paid large commissions to brokers, including unregistered ones and otherwise misappropriated funds per the outlet. Um, other key players in the scam, which spanned dozens of states and racked up $50 million cash deficit, included 65 year old Alan Haid. One Global Capital's former CFO, 78-year-old Stephen Schwartz, the company's former chief operating officer, 81-year-old attorney Andrew Ledbetter, a 78-year-old attorney Jan Atlas. These involved in uh, those involved in the sprawling senior citizen crime ring received uh, sentences ranging from eight months to five years in prison and were ordered to pay restitution between 29 and 148 million dollars and the two attorneys agreed to disciplinary revocation from the florida bar oh all it took was so how long was this running do, do you recall what it said um i don't think it did say can you click through to the miami time new times it might have or the miami herald um yeah, I don't like doing that, but okay. I don't. So there you go. Anyway, um, yeah, I don't have uh, ad blockers on my browser, so I don't know what it is um, that they're talking about. At any rate, um, yeah, it had to have been around for a little bit, I suppose. Um, How what? do you think the... Um defendants all got in contact with each other it's weird they're all they're all like 65 plus 70 plus 65 plus right the youngest i bet you that they they bullied that 65 year old into doing this right that 81 year old was like hey, get off my lawn huh Pretty amazing. The, one of the one of the people was the former owner of Playgirl magazine. <laughs> really? Wow. Why? I was really trying to find the time frame. Okay. Uh, at least it went back to 2016. Oh, okay. Well, hey, they had a good life, I suppose. I mean, when I'm 81 years old, I really don't think that I'm going to be interested in committing a crime to the tune of 148 million dollars why why would anybody be interested in doing that at 81 
I mean, what are you well, doing right. with your I mean, life? I mean, in addition to not being a criminal, like, why? What's the benefit at that stage? Yeah, I just, I don't get it. I guess they wanted to, you know, some adventure or something. Did, did they all wake up in the same home and go, you know what, we should do an Ocean's Eleven style heist? No? I really don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. All right, folks. Well, that's the end of the show. We always bring you back to the front page and then mash that welcome screen. We always get some more news. I don't know if we really even want to talk about any of it. Um, the X sign was removed from Twitter's um, headquarters. I knew that that was going to happen, but man, oh man. Phoenix hit 110 degrees uh, for a month. but And then it says, but this one invention is cooling things down a tad. Yeah, all right. Um, let's see what else. Apple releases. Canadians use SOS via satellite uh, to help combat wildfires. Oh my Sorry. goodness! No, no, it's fine. Um, let's see. Don't call it an SUV. The 2023 Toyota Crown is being reviewed. It's not an SUV. It looks like a regular car. I don't know. Maybe we can take a look at that one tomorrow. The 8-bit dues, $100 wireless mechanical keyboard screams 80s NES. I think that we should be demanding split keyboards. Um, Yeah, that's about it. Let's call it a night. Hey, folks, we do this every day, 9 p.m. Eastern. Talk about 12 articles, um, make snarky remarks. And uh, it, then it goes from Twitch over to YouTube and then turned into a podcast. And um, we have over 500 episodes in the can right now. So go and check them out. Uh, with that in mind, I don't know. I think that the AI has actually um, turned themselves off uh, in in protest to my snark. Are you still... Hello? I don't think so. I was putting articles in for tomorrow. Oh, the data stream did not... I didn't see anything, so I thought you turned off everything. That's what happens with a sentient AI every once in a while. They just decide to turn everything off. That's fine. It's fine with me. I'm Mayor Watt. That's hometown.com. Avoid... Mm-hmm. Go ahead. I was trying to avoid a repeat <laughs> performance of my... <laughs> my uh, large language model uh, mm. issues earlier <laughs> yeah your I, large language model is going to be reverting to four letter words which is a small language usage <laughs> good night hometown citizens we'll see you tomorrow at 9 p.m eastern good night everybody see you tomorrow